When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. This week we are joined by Yahoo reporter Adrian Wojnarowski. This episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick is brought to you by T-Mobile. With just one swing, home runs can be the ultimate game changer. At T-Mobile, we know how to change the game for good. T-Mobile is always listening and always improving by listening to our customers. We've doubled our LTE coverage to reach 309 million Americans, and our extended range LTE reaches two times farther and is four times stronger in buildings than before. Just as our network has you covered, T-Mobile has the Home Run Derby covered too. Want to have some fun? Fill out a bracket for the Home Run Derby. Make your picks in T-Mobile's Home Run Derby Bracket Challenge at T-Mobile.com MLB. For a chance to win a trip for four to game one of the World Series. T-Mobile, we're changing the game for good. LTE doubled over 2015 and 2016. No purchase necessary to enter or win. And July 10th, 2016. Open to legal residents of the United States and the District of Columbia. Must be over 18 years of age. Void where prohibited. For official rules and complete details, visit MLB.com slash bracket challenge. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick, powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, J.J. Reddick. Welcome back to the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. In a few moments, I will be joined by Adrian Wojnarowski to talk about free agency and all things NBA. Probably couldn't have a, a better expert than him to talk about free agency. Before we get to him, I want to just give my own thoughts, I guess, on on free agency. I, I think in the basketball Twitter and in the Twitter universe, there seemed to be a high degree of sticker shock amongst the casual fan. Um, there were a lot of sort of sentiments that basketball players aren't worth it, athletes aren't worth it. I'm not exactly sure how you measure worth in a dollar sense other than measuring dollars. Um, From an intrinsic standpoint, yes, I think that teachers, firefighters, policemen, you could argue they're worth more than they're paid. And I get that argument. I think maybe for a casual sports fan or, or even someone that hates sports and hates all athletes, which I think those people exist too, which is fine, I think they just are unaware at the sort of magnitude and the size of the business of sport. If you just talk about our sport, uh, we're generating, you know, at this point with the new TV deal, uh, over $5 billion a year. There's 30 teams and there's 450 players. Uh, Our Players Association has a union and we have negotiated a collective bargaining agreement, uh, sort of a labor agreement uh, with the owners. And in that labor agreement, we negotiated, the owners negotiated, uh, a 50, essentially a 50-50 split of all revenue. So what that equates to is that the players, they get half, and that money has to be paid out to the players per the collective bargaining agreement. So when you talk about these new 
contracts in this new world of this new TV money, the money has to be distributed. So the teams essentially have one choice or two choices rather. They, they can either pay the money out to a free agent or they can not go to the salary floor. The salary floor is roughly 90% of the cap and they can pay that out to their own team. The problem with that, of course, is you have to have at least 12 players. And, and once the season starts, you have to have 13 players. So the money's going to go to the players regardless. And, and I think for a team, if you're saying, uh, I can either pay the guys I already have on my team, or I can go get a new player and hopefully be better. I think the the choice there is obvious, right? It's it, We're trying to, to build a team. The other sentiment I heard was, yeah, we have a problem with uh, you know, we understand the money has to be paid out, but we have a problem with role players or bums. There, you know, there's a lot of negativity. Bums getting these contracts. The people that say that, I don't think you understand like how good NBA players are, and I also don't think you understand how NBA basketball works. In high school, if you had a really dominant player. You could surround him with four awful players, and that team would probably win 90% of their games. It doesn't exactly work like that in the NBA because you're playing against other NBA players who are also very good. Now, there's different ways, of course, to, to measure goodness. We can use traditional stats, advanced stats. There's all these sort of ways. So for the players that are getting these contracts... There's always an argument to be made that they're worth it. And in the context of this new TV money and the salary cap rising and that the idea that teams have to spend the money to get to 90% of the cap and the salary floor, hey, guess what? The money is well spent. Two other things real quick. I find it very obnoxious when you compare salaries between, let's say, last week and what so-and-so made in such-and-such such sport between the years of 1970 and 1990. Uh, I saw one graphic, Tiger Woods PGA winnings on tour versus what so-and-so had signed for last week. It's not even comparing apples and oranges. It's, it's comparing apples and an entirely different food group. Uh, it's comparing apples and smoked barbecue brisket. Like it, it, the comparison just doesn't make sense. So you can't do it because, again, it has to do with revenue, incoming revenue, how that revenue is distributed. Yeah, Babe Ruth didn't make a lot of money relative to today. And had Babe Ruth been a free agent last winter in his prime, he probably would have made $300 million in baseball. But he didn't because he played in the 1920s. So the comparison's stupid. All right, last thing real quick. I, I, I posed this question on Twitter. Did Microsoft overpay for LinkedIn? Is LinkedIn worth it? Obviously, I was being tongue-in-cheek. I could care less whether or not Microsoft overpaid for LinkedIn. They did. They paid it a 50% premium. But clearly, to acquire an asset, and in this case in basketball, Acquiring an asset means going out and acquiring a free agent. Sometimes you have to overpay. And if there's multiple bidders, if there's multiple teams that want that player, that can drive the price up. In the case of LinkedIn, Salesforce was bidding on, on, on LinkedIn, and that drove the price up that Microsoft had to pay. So my point is that the sport we play is, is a business, and you can't really compare it necessarily to Microsoft and LinkedIn and all that stuff. We're not talking you know, EPS here or anything, but... 
it is a business. That money is real money that has to be distributed to the players. And as you see, this is sort of the new world that we live in, in terms of salaries. One thing I'm going to touch on with Woj is is our upcoming CBA opt-out that both sides can opt out. And we're going to discuss that a little bit. So maybe next summer it's a little different. I don't know. But let's get to Woj. Woj, thanks for giving me the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for doing the podcast, JJ. We, we hey, appreciate it, man. This is great. This is, you know what? I've had some firsts on the podcast. I've had my first non-sports person. I've had my first NFL player. I've had the number one golfer in the world. I've yet to have a media member, a journalist there you on, go. The, on the podcast. So you are the first. I appreciate it. Hey, I'm glad to be on. I'm, I feel like I'm taking time away from you right now. I mean, we still <laughs> technically are in the middle of free agency, and I know... There's probably like at least two or three more Woj bombs that will go out. I just want you to be completely honest with me. Are you on your phone right now? Two of them. Two okay. of them. Two of them in front of me. And <laughs> if, you, if you do get traded, if you do get traded yeah. before the podcast is over, I'll try to confirm and we'll, we'll, okay. uh, we'll rip your former employer and, and announce a holdout on your future one. So. It would be so great if in the middle of this conversation, Dwayne Wade signed, because of course that's the big thing going on today, sort of the last big domino to fall is, is what is Dwayne Wade going to do? Yeah, he's um, you know, he's been holding meetings in New York. Probably by the time people hear the podcast, he may have already chosen a team. I mm-hmm. I was told he may do that by tonight, but he's in with uh, Mickey Arison, Miami's owner, and he hustled up to New York. Uh, Dwayne was in Europe. He came back and met with Denver this morning, met with Milwaukee's owner, and then he's meeting with uh, Mickey Arison as we speak. So it's interesting, like how... He is angry. He didn't like his initial offer. He feels he's wondering how much Miami really wants him back. But this has happened before with him. There's no question this is a leverage play. But there could come a point where Pat Riley and Mickey Harrison say, all right, Dwayne, we're not going past two years. This is the offer. And then, right, he's got to be ready to jump if they do that. I don't necessarily want to talk just about Dwayne Wade. So we're going right. to move off that. I do wonder if you get this question a lot. Like, do you sleep during the trade deadline? Do you sleep uh, during free agency? I'm on the West Coast. You're on the East Coast. Uh, you know, first few days of free agency, I'm up till, you know, 12 o'clock at night reading Twitter, refresh, refresh, refresh. <laughs> and uh, and you're tweeting out. I mean, and then I wake up in the morning and I've already missed like seven tweets from you. So <laughs> you're clearly like working on one or two hours of sleep at this point in time. No, I sleep more than that. That's, uh, I, I sleep. I just like... Anybody else? It is less this time of year. You uh, you sort of finish a round of everybody you can talk to still on the West Coast. Well, there's still people in the East up at 12, 1 in the morning, 2 in the morning. But you know you can still be on the phone at 2 or 3 in the morning talking with people on the West Coast. And then, then you got to be back up early in the East because people are getting to work there. So, um, But hey, that's, that's a job. That's a job. I, I love it. This is a great time of year. It's a free agency, trade deadline, draft. It's like a sport unto itself. Like It's almost like college recruiting, right? There's people who care more about <laughs> yeah. like who their school's going to get than actually the guys they had and they just went to the final eight with. You know, College recruiting, of course, takes place over you know two years, maybe a guy's sophomore, junior year, then he commits his senior year. This, this is taking place over like three or four days. Right. I mean, it's, by, by, by now, it's pretty much died down. You've, you've been doing this a long time. Um, it seems to me the buildup, the attention, 
that free agency gets now in the NBA is certainly at an all-time high. It is, and uh, I think you know, I think this year was a combination of the money that we knew that the salaries going up would create more interest and maybe more arguing, debating. You know, Lawrence Frank had a great line on your podcast last week where he said, and he was exactly right, the Used to used to say the range of a player might be between six and eight million. Well, now it's between six and twenty million, and that's yeah. in the conversations I'm having with uh, GMs and agents. It's almost at a little bit of a standstill right now because everyone's trying to figure out, sort of hitting the reset button and trying to figure out what everybody is worth and what somebody else can pay. And you know, one agent said to me this morning, he goes, "You know, I was having a lot of fun in free agency until about yesterday, and now all of a sudden he's got a bunch of guys who he thought." He was going to get pretty good contracts for who are looking at minimum deals. So you're seeing some restraint in the market. You're seeing everyone isn't going to just spend all their money on marginal guys. And so the market, I want to say it's correcting itself, but you're not seeing like a a recklessness out there of a lot of marginal guys getting paid big deals that, you know, they're going to regret. But listen, we know by December 15th, there's going to be buyer's remorse on a few guys. And as soon as that trade date's available, like... You know, we'll be hearing names out there. Can we get this guy off? But that that happens every year. Yeah, I, I actually think there's been very few deals that I've seen where I'm I'm kind of shocked at. Like, oh my God, that guy got paid that. But it, to me, there has been a relative, of course. I don't want to offend anybody, but there's been a relative amount of restraint. Yeah. Uh, because I look at a lot of these deals, and if you look at them in the context of, of maybe what the team is trying to do or the needs of a team or what the player's age is, uh, the deals make sense to me. I mean, certainly there's been a, there's been a few that have I've said, uh, wow, right. wow, I can't believe that guy got that. But relative restraint. Yeah, and I think, you know, look at last year, and you look at some of the numbers, and, you know, Masai Ujiri, some people were like, geez, he really overpaid for Corey Joseph. He overpaid for Damari Carroll. Those are great contracts right now. And he knew when he did Corey Joseph at that time, you know, who was a backup point guard in San Antonio, who, like, to me, what I liked about those deals were, you know, DeMar Carroll was, I think it was around 15 million. Like, they were from winning teams. Like, to me, if you're going to over, I'm going to quote unquote overpay, if you're going to invest in a guy, and I, they weren't overpays, like, I like those deals last year because they were, you brought in a guy from the Spurs and from Atlanta, from winning teams, guys who'd been in, the playoffs, guys who'd been in great environments. They weren't just guys who maybe put up big numbers on bad teams. And then they really, and both those players, you know, especially Joseph really helped them in the playoffs. And you saw people who got ahead of this and could see where it was going. And then this year, uh, there's no question there were some teams who needed to, you know, Orlando has spent a lot of money. The Lakers went out. You know, the Luol Deng deal to me is the most shocking four years for him. That's going to be that's a big investment. There's no better guy in the league than Luol. There's no sure. better character guy. I get like, I love that guy as a player, as a leader. But, you know, it's a risky deal for them. You mentioned Corey Joseph and and sort of last summer's, you know, free agency signings. There were a lot of people last summer on basketball Twitter and around the league who were maybe shocked at some of the deals that were going around. But specifically with Corey Joseph, like the guy signed, I think, for roughly a little over seven a year. As a as sort of a backup point guard, a uh, guy who can play both guard positions, uh, and then you look at the deals that got handed out for for similar type players this summer, and you know Austin got over eleven a year, Delavadova got nine and a half a year, DJ Augustine got seven and a half a year. So, so that it, it was actually a, a really a really great deal that they did last summer, and a lot of the deals last summer 
now you look at and say, oh man, they're actually on bargain contracts. Yeah, and I think the people who got out ahead in this and they knew, to me, it's like a funhouse mirror. It's like you're in the funhouse and everybody's head's a little bigger and you know everything's a little out of whack. And I understand for the average fan, for people who were in the league years ago and see the numbers and the players, I get it, but they didn't have a $24 billion television deal to play under. And that's what's caused this. And if the players weren't making this salary, then it would be going in the owner's pockets. And listen, we know there's plenty of teams. We all admire the organizations who are committed and trying to win. There's also plenty of owners who just love to put television money and not only television money, but revenue sharing, just put it in their pocket and not try to win. I had a conversation with a GM today and he said something interesting this morning. They were sitting in their in their room with their whole group, and they said, this was especially after the Durant deal. They said, this is if you were ever going to tank in the NBA, this is the time to tank because none of us have a chance. Like We're not winning. But you look around, there's not one. Who's the one team out there tanking right now? Who's the one team that has gutted itself and is gone in that direction? Philly's out there signing players and... Uh, you know, they've changed course, but there's really not one team doing that right now. And if we're being honest, like if you're ever going to do it, and it's a great draft next year too, and, and maybe somebody will start to go that route, but now it's kind of late to start getting contracts off. It's hard to, once you've gone down this road of putting a team together, but for all the league's worries about changing the draft rules and or wanting to change the lottery rules, excuse me, you look around the league, there's no one doing it. And I think there's a stigma after Philly, that fan bases, I, I don't know if a lot of cities have the stomach to say, hey, Philly was our model. That's the road we want to go down. <laughs> I, I don't know if there's a lot yeah. of, if that can be sold in a lot of places. Although, hey, Philly's in position here with some picks and and some young players where they, yeah. they, they have a chance to get probably pretty good here in the next you know few yeah. years. They, they hit on a couple guys. I, listen, I hate the tanking strategy. I've talked about it on the podcast before. I, I'm just not a fan of it. I, I also think if you look at Philly and, and the context of, of who their owners are and you understand what they do with businesses, mm-hmm. you can kind of understand why Philly has gone to this extreme. I and mean, these are private equity guys that go in and they strip companies down and then they build them back up and then they sell them. That's that's what they do. Yeah, and, and it's a great point. When they interviewed Sam Hinkie, it wasn't, hey, Sam had this big idea, and they went, hey, that's a really good idea. Let's hire him and do it. They were, that was their vision of we're stuck in the middle, or we're stuck in that 32, 38, when, wherever they were at that time with some veterans, and we're going to tear it down. That was what those owners, you're right, they were New York hedge fund guys who this is what they do with companies, and I thought this was mathematically the play to do it. This is the way to get a franchise player or a couple of franchise players, and you know, but I think from a league point of view, I think what scared owners, what angered owners, and what worried the commissioner was, <laughs> if it works or if this keeps going, what if we had three or four teams all doing this at once that we that they don't want to have a league? One team doing it stuck out in a dramatic way. Yeah. But if there were multiple teams doing this, that it's just the league didn't want to live with that reality. It's not good for the league. I, I just don't think it's good for the league. And if you have more than one team, it's really not good. And one thing real quick, I, I obviously realize that private equity does more than just that. They serve other purposes as well. Uh, but this is not a, a finance podcast, so we're not going to get <laughs> no, you, too far into, fin- <laughs> into, into private equity right now. I, one thing I, I think that should be noted about sort of tanking and about why these teams are spending money. So 
you know, uh, four, three, four years ago, I guess it was 2013, when I was a free agent, this was sort of the mid-cycle of the new CBA. Uh, most of the teams by this point had amnesty to player and gotten the bad contracts off their books. And yet, I, I think the summer I was a free agent, there was maybe five or six teams that had uh, like legit cap space. And one of those teams was Philly, which elected not to participate in free agency that summer. So really, you, you, if you're a free agent that summer, you were, you know, you were battling for, you know, dollars. I mean, it was it was a very tough environment to get a contract. And now you're looking at an environment where nearly every team has a large amount of cap space. And there's what, 21 teams or something like that that had max cap space or could have cleared cap space for for max free agents. So yeah. so last summer, there were the teams that got ahead and th- those contracts were like, whoa. This summer, it's, okay, we've got to spend the money because we need to get to the salary floor and we have all this space. And it's going to be the same thing next summer. It is. And you know, going back to your point, when you're free agency, and I remember this, remember Minnesota had a lot of space and they were bad at that time. I don't think you were super enthusiastic about, you wanted to go to a good team. You had better on good teams. And I remember you wanted to stay with one, but yeah. you were sort of looking at mid-level exceptions around the league. And there was a time where, when teams didn't have cap space in those re- those years, where there were a lot of really high-level guys who were getting jammed into that mid-level. The other thing, too, people don't give enough credence to, when you have a star young player on a rookie contract, so you have a a yeah. great, impactful guy who's selling tickets all over the league, who comes in, takes it by storm. He's on his rookie deal for four years. So he's underpaid. And so, yeah, like this has opened up the gates a little bit, but there's plenty of instances in a league where players are just by the system. And it's a CBA system that the players have agreed to that, you know, they're not. But you, that sign and trade allowed you to get, uh, let's say, was that Phoenix Clipper Milwaukee. Yeah, three-way. I remember I got a text on the trade, and I was trying to figure out all the pieces. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Doc had offered... So Doc was... They were going back and forth about whether or not to to trade Bledsoe to open up space. They ultimately decided, we didn't want to trade Bledsoe, so here's the mid-level. And I had had, I think, four or five teams, all playoff teams, offer me the mid-level. Minnesota was the one team that had offered me cap space. And so I was like, all right, you know, this is at the time I was like, this is the last, you know, multi-year deal of my career. I got to take the cap space. This is like this is my one chance to get a, you know, a big contract. And so I, you know, I initially was like, all right, I'm going to Minnesota. And then, you know, Doc and Lon, Babby and uh, and John Hammond from from the Bucks and my agent all figured something out to to make it work uh, with with the Clippers, but uh, yeah, I mean it was just a, it was just a completely different environment, and I and I think you're right. I mean Jamal played on the mid level for the last mm-hmm. four years, and and now you see him get a a fairly sizable contract. Yeah, I I do remember. I know you've talked about this on the show before, but right, you had committed to the Clippers, and I remember I got wind of the whole Sterling. Second, yeah. having reservations about you for a couple different reasons. One was m- maybe you weren't worth the money, and he also did not like paying white players. He didn't yeah. think he like if I'm going to give money to a player, like the white I- ones aren't good. Yeah, the it I- is. The irony people, right? The irony is, yeah. but that's what people thought. They said the thought was no, he would love JJ Redick. No, 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 he didn't. He didn't see it that way. But I just remember I got wind of it, and I remember I tried to hit everybody. You, your agent, Doc, everybody, crickets. Everybody was so scared. No one would talk. No one would even acknowledge that this was going on for about three days. And then I finally, and then the deal went through. And I ended up writing about it later. 
Yeah. But I do remember the silence from everybody for a couple of days there. Like I remember asking about it and going, getting a couple, I don't think that's going on. I think we're fine. I think we're fine. But you guys were all, there was some uneasy days there as you, although so, you so, were unaware of, you were actually, yeah, I was unaware of it. So, yeah. so the listeners that, that are like, <laughs> what, are, what are they talking about? So, so I had committed to the Clippers and the, the Clippers had committed to me on, on, I think Tuesday, second or third day of free agency. So I, I flew back from LA to Austin and I uh, was getting ready on July 4th, which was a Thursday that year. I was getting ready to, to go out to dinner and go to the fireworks with some friends. And, and I got this phone call from doc and and he just the, he, I hello and he says uh, you better play for me motherfucker and I was like <laughs> I was like yeah yeah that's the plan I mean I, I'm I'm not hurt I haven't gotten hurt in the last two days I'm still gonna play for you and he went off he, he talked to me for about ten minutes and I, I literally I I I don't know remember what he said but I had no idea what he was talking about so for forty eight hours I'm trying to get a hold of my agents and similar to you they're giving me crickets they're not returning my calls or my texts but at this point I'm like all right something's going on I'm just not sure what it is and uh, and then sure enough about Saturday afternoon my agent called me and told me that Sterling had woken up on July fourth in the Hamptons and decided that he didn't want to do the trade anymore and uh, didn't want to pay me that money so yeah and uh, the, the best part and the kicker on that too was like they said listen he's out in the Hamptons. You know, he's had some beverages there. Just leave him alone for a couple of days. We're not, we don't want to press him for an, like, this thing's got to, he's yeah. got to come out of a, some sort of a stupor here and we'll get back to this. I remember that was the whole, just waiting, just waiting the Donald out with whatever was going on in the Hamptons, you know. Well, the shitty part for me would have been Kevin Martin. I mean, Minnesota, as soon as they got wind that I was in talks with the Clippers, they pulled my deal off the table. They went and got Kevin Martin like an hour later. And right. uh, so they were the one team that had cap space that had offered me cap space. So if I had, if, if Sterling had said like, all right, we're not doing this. Like I was, I was out of luck. You know, I was, well, not out of luck. Listen. No, no, you were, out of, you were out of luck. Yeah. No, but you were I was, out of luck. I was, you can I was, say, it. You can say I, it. I would have had trouble because, uh, you know, that was that now we're looking at like uh, the sixth, seventh. Yeah. Five, six days into free agency. All the money's dried up. So <laughs> you are listening to the vertical podcast with JJ Reddick. As some of you may know, Manny Ramirez was my favorite baseball player, and watching him crush home runs over the Green Monster was always an amazing sight. And with just one swing, home runs can be the ultimate game changer. At T-Mobile, we know how to change the game for good. T-Mobile is always listening and always improving by listening to our customers. We've doubled our LTE coverage to reach 309 million Americans, and our extended range LTE reaches two times farther and is four times stronger in buildings than before. Just as our network has you covered, T-Mobile has the Home Run Derby covered too. Want to have some fun? Fill out a bracket for the Home Run Derby. Make your picks in T-Mobile's Home Run Derby Bracket Challenge at T-Mobile.com MLB for a chance to win a trip for four to Game 1 of the World Series. T-Mobile, we're changing the game for good. LTE doubled over 2015 and 2016. No purchase necessary to enter or win. Ends July 10th, 2016. Open to legal residents of the United States and the District of Columbia. Must be 18 years or older. Void where prohibited. For official rules and complete details, visit MLB.com slash Bracket Challenge. All right, let's get back to Woj. I'm curious specifically about this free agency period. You mentioned Luol Deng's contract. I don't want to get into sort of what guys are mm-hmm. worth and, and if there's, you know, listen, there's sticker shock on some contracts. I'll even admit that. But I'm, I'm curious, were there any specific signings that surprised you in terms of, um, you know, the guy leaving a place or the guy maybe going somewhere that you didn't think was a fit or even a team going and getting a guy that you were like, eh, how, how does that work? What, what were like the surprise signings to you? 
surprise. I listen, and we're gonna we're gonna skip over KD because everybody's yeah. gonna talk. don't even bring that up. Yeah, I, I think a couple like I really felt. I think Al Horford would have stayed in Atlanta if that number got closer to the max. I mean, they really ended that over in a marketplace of over a billion dollars this year. That five million dollars, six million dollars was the difference between. They hit a limit. It was around 136 million, I was told. And if they had gotten up over 140, he would have stayed. And I think both sides thought they were getting there. They were, and then it it didn't. And then so he jumped to Boston. The other one with Horford that was interesting was he could have very easily been in Oklahoma City if he wanted to know. And Durant was recruit. This is the Durant was recruiting him before he went to the Hamptons, but. He wasn't promising, and neither could Russell, and understandably, yeah. that we're going to be there long-term. I, I think Al felt like, even if we went and won a championship next year and then both guys left, I don't want a table for one at Mickey Mantle's in Oklahoma City. Like That's not <laughs> what I'm looking for there. So, And then he went to Boston, where there was a, you know, a little of sure thing. You know, Dwight Howard to Atlanta, that was interesting. Obviously, for him, he got his money. He got $20 million plus over three years. and well, I got to interrupt on that one. Like I'm not like I'm not a Dwight basher. Like I I've talked ad nauseum about Dwight publicly, and like we've all made some mistakes. Whatever, whatever. You can have your opinion of Dwight. Like, but Dwight is Dwight, and I and I support Dwight. But that fit is weird to me because Atlanta was a top five defense last year, and they play a certain way, and it's it's very Spurs esque. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm th- offensively, it just it seems like a weird fit on both ends. I agree. Like there's sort of that Spurs tree of teams, and I heard a couple people joke like, "Is Mike Budenholzer is he going to get his Spurs card revoked for bringing Dwight in?" And I I like <laughs> Dwight too, and I think you you played with him, you know him better than I do, but I yeah. I think Dwight tries. He really he doesn't always say the right thing or do the right thing. He's like he's got. I always say this: Dwight's heart is in the right place. I believe that. I believe it too. I now that. that doesn't mean you can defend everything he's done because no, you can't. But but like that being said, I thought the market for him was going to be maybe somebody would pay him like that over two years. Um, I didn't think he'd get the third, but you know they they rolled the dice there in there that they they would have still kept Al and they would have traded uh, Paul Millsap. So now they have Millsap and they have Dwight and you know they'll go at it you know from there. But uh, that surprised me a little bit. And you know Chandler Parsons. Ends up getting another max deal, which was impressive for him coming off an injury. It, it, the funny thing is, you've seen the last couple of years well, injuries. Got, guys, come, we, Chandler Parsons, Wesley Matthews coming off major Joe, injuries. Joe Kim, Joe Kim Noah. I was going to bring up Wes Matthews, yeah. but Joe Kim Noah too. Yeah, and, and used Joe, to be a guy would get hurt in his free agent year, and he'd be like, "Oh, life's over." And and now he's still no, getting he, market value. There's or, very or higher. You're sometimes. right. There's very few injuries anymore that you say we're just too scared of this guy. We're not. Teams are willing to take. That risk more than ever. Uh, you, even guys who didn't have always the greatest medical or physical information on some of these guys are making decisions and doing it. And I think part of that is trust teams have in their medical staffs and technology, and that there's very little, there's very little anymore that you can't come back from. Right. And uh, but it's an interesting landscape right now. And to another point, we talking about Kevin Durant, uh, JJ. Everyone keeps talking about market that. What, how are we going to keep, you know, how are we going to ever get parity in the league? Are the owners going to come out and try to crush the players again in, in the CBA talks because, we, you know, Kevin Durant didn't stay in Oklahoma City. He played there nine years. Yeah. Like, and 
if great <laughs> players, you know the shit. Yeah. If great players want to be together, and there's some willing to sacrifice, you will never stop this. Players, Kareem Abdul Cinder went from Milwaukee to L.A. There's an exodus that's always been in the league, and always will be. And you know, somebody in the Durant recruitment when when Jerry West talked to him, and then when Tom Brady came in. You know, somebody, you know, sort of affiliated with Oklahoma City or, or on that side who was rooting for him to be in Oklahoma City said, I wish Duran had asked Jerry West and Tom Brady, you never changed teams. You played your whole career at one team. Why should I? Yeah. Now, the probably uh, the argument would be, well, I played in L.A. and I played in Boston, you know, and, you know, Oklahoma City is not a glamour market, the chance to be in San Francisco and play for that team. But I just don't know if the system is the reason you say it's the system that led Kevin Durant yeah. to leave. I. I don't buy that. I don't buy it either, and I think you bring up a great point in that he fulfilled his contract. He fulfilled nine years. It was basically, you know, because of uh, restricted free agency and them offering him a max extension. Like it's what every player does in a small market. You take your max extension, you move on, you play that out, and then you get to free agency and you're unrestricted. And it's the first time in your like people don't understand this. It's the first time in your career where you get to go where you choose to play. Right. So a small market nine team. Nine years in. Nine years in a small market team, like you said, that first deal, no one is going to take the qualifying offer. No one's going to go through restricted free agency and then take the qualifying offer. There's too much risk physically about injury. You know, there's like, you're just not going to do it and it costs you money. You sign that Big Max deal. And even some of the guys, JJ, like now, who are signing those five-year, like Mike Connolly, he did exactly the right thing. Got the full max, $153 million dollars. Carmelo did the same thing in New York. And I remember somebody around Carmelo at the time said to me, take the money now, fix the destination later. Meaning that didn't mean, I think Carmelo plays it out in New York. He loves playing there. I don't think he wants to live or do, I think he'll be there. But players also know that, like I can get myself somewhere else eventually. Who's the last guy in the league, JJ, who really said, I want out of here, get me out of here, who didn't eventually get himself out of a situation. You'll get yourself out of it. Right. And, and to to your point about the system, you know the system is set up right now where your incumbent team, if, you know, if provided they they have your bird rights, you know they can offer you that fifth year. And Al Horford, you know, he had an extra what twenty three million on the table and a fifth year guaranteed from Atlanta, and he chose to leave and go to to Boston. I think players should always have that right. Like what 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 kind of uh, capitalistic society are we living in where you can't choose where you want to work? And that's the thing. I think. I mean, again, yeah, again we yeah. have a labor agreement. It's not yeah. a free market. I get all those arguments. We don't have a free market. And I'm going to ask you about that in one second in terms of the cap and, and max salaries and all that. But, but we should be able to choose where we want to play. If we fulfill our contract, we should be able to choose where, where we want to play. There's no question. And, and I think with Kevin, to me, there's going to be two arguments with Kevin Durant. No one's going to say he didn't have the right or he should have stayed there. I think now people can legitimately debate. How they oh, feel but about no, him jumping? But you're wrong. There was an article yesterday saying that the NBA should have a franchise tag so that they can keep the players there. There was an article yesterday in a, in a, in a, in a major publication that said that. that basically, that Oklahoma City owned should have owned Kevin Durant. So that people are saying that, that 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 he shouldn't have the right to go choose where he wants to work. First of all, a player like I'm getting heated, but I'm sorry. But a player <laughs> is drafted. Like you have no choice where you're drafted. If you're drafted. To go play in Anchorage, Alaska. God bless Alaskans. Like you're going to go to to Anchorage, Alaska, and you're and the way that the system is set up. If you're a great player, you're going to be there nine years. You've served those nine years. You should be able to go choose. There's very few freedoms, and and I know like around the draft too, people get angry when agents are going to keep medical information from certain teams or not go work out for certain teams, and teams are 
get upset about that and they say they're ruining the process of the draft, there's very little the player controls. Now, he can't stop you. The agent can't stop a team from taking a player. Chris Dunn's agents kept his medical information from Boston at three and Phoenix at four because they didn't want him to go there unless those teams traded a couple of the point guards they had because they wanted him to be able to come in and make an impact. But they couldn't stop Phoenix or Boston from drafting him because once that guy's drafted, as you know, JJ, you don't have freedom for a very long time as a player, and you can sit on a bench and not play and say, can you trade my guy when you like his career's rotting here? Team doesn't have to do anything, and that happens all the time. Like There's certain organizations like agents do not want their players to go to. I've known... And I won't say who, but there was a couple in this process where guys had more money to go to bad organizations mm-hmm. with younger players. And they said, listen, that coach doesn't care about player development. That organization is dysfunctional. That my guy for a few million extra right now um, is going to get lost there and it's going to derail his career. We're going to, that's a good organization. That's a coach right. and a front office that develops and has a great atmosphere. People are making those decisions all the time. They're not always money decisions. And I've seen that a few times here. I always see it, but I've seen it more in free agency yeah. now that teams are conscious of who does a good job with players mm-hmm. and, and who's the places that are poorly run. I also, not just money. Players are making decisions not just based on money, you know, money, like oh, who offered me the most, I'm going there. It is the organization. Players aren't just making decisions on market either. Players aren't saying, oh, I want to go be in New York or LA. Uh, players are, are saying, oh, I want to go play for a team and play in, a, in an organization and, and in a culture uh, where that values winning, that values people, that, that you know, embraces the process, whatever you want to call it. But guys are very, very aware of this. I did a, I did a panel like three weeks ago, uh, a tech panel for Goldman Sachs up in Northern California. And we were talking about uh, personal brands and, and they asked me about sort of guys going to different markets. And, and, you know, what I said about brands are, you know, it's authentic. You tell a narrative, and and if it's authentic and you tell a good narrative, then people embrace it. But ultimately, what creates a brand is greatness. And if you're a great player on a great team, it doesn't matter what market you're in. Your brand will have power. There's no question, and you've seen it. Kevin Durant or LeBron James, their ability to get gigantic shoe deals was not predicated on them being in New York or Chicago or L.A. They got them in Cleveland. They got them in Oklahoma City. The most important thing for a player, are you winning? Are you in a place where you're winning and your team's good? Because being in LA or being in New York on a bad team, there's not a benefit of that over winning anywhere else in the league. Everyone can watch. Like when I grew up watching the NBA, you watched, you know, you saw the Celtics and Lakers and Sixers and it was Sunday afternoon. Like you didn't see these other teams. And now everybody watches everybody every night. You watch them on your phone and market size. But like we would all agree, and you know this from being on a really good team in LA, if you're on a really good team in a big market, yeah, that's better in than a big being, market in a right. nice place to live. I, yeah, no, I agree. Right? I agree, but I also don't agree. Like guys are picking teams based on weather. So like, no. Like, hey, that's I, look at the Lakers free agent class right now. Yeah. Is that happening? No, that's no. not happening. All right, one last sort of topic I wanted to ask you about. So one of the you know arguments against paying role players, of course, is that money should go to the star players. There shouldn't be max salaries. And I don't necessarily want to get your opinion on that. Uh, it's more about this upcoming CBA opt-out that both sides have, the players and the owners. Either side can sort of opt out in December. What are you hearing about the CBA? And do you think that this summer's free agency period will have any impact on, on anything going forward? I really don't think it will, JJ. I think they knew this is what it was going to look like. The owners wanted to, and the commissioner, you know, Adam Silver wanted to 
implement that smoothing process where players over three or four years would benefit from everybody that that it wasn't just about this year's free agents and next year's that there would be every player would benefit over the next several years at the money going up. And I think the players association was, well, Hey, if the money goes up for these guys now, then it's going to benefit everybody later. I'm not sure it's going to work out that way, but that was there. And so this is the way it is now, but there's so much money out there. Like the idea of the players next, I don't sense on either side. I I certainly don't sense in the union. You're a member of it. You know better than me, but I don't sense a great appetite right now to miss games, to sit out, to not make the money that guys, I will be shocked if there's not a deal well in advance. I think this is what I was told at the beginning. The, The league essentially told the players this. If you want to do some things around the edges, if you want to make some some quality of life things better for some players, we'll, we'll, we'll tighten up some things around the edges, okay? You're not getting a big piece of the BRI back. Yeah. But if you guys, if the players want to come back and try to get back a lot of things they've lost, then we're coming for everything. Yeah. We're coming for the hard cap. We're going yeah. nuclear on you. And that's sort of the dollar. And I think the conversations have been around, let's do some things around the edges. I. Yeah. I, so, yeah. so, so some yeah. examples of that, uh, uh, maybe drug testing, uh, you know, the guys aren't happy about our drug testing right now. We can now be tested up to nine times, which is more than any other sport. Uh, the mid-level, you know, the mid-level, the minimums, you, you mentioned the, the, the rookie contracts, none of those has risen with the cap. Uh, so, so maybe there's some adjustment there. Certainly the age limit that's been discussed. Those are sort of the around, the, but in terms of BRI, salary tax, uh, you know, luxury tax, salary cap, penalties, repeater tax, all that stuff. The league saying you're, you're hearing the league saying, no, no, that stuff is stank. Well, yes, in general, like that yeah. that you're not going to get a bigger cut of the pie. We're not going to fundamentally change the system. Uh, you know, yeah. the one thing, and I've talked about it, written about it, maybe a little bit, like two way contracts, where sort of like hockey, where you'll have like an extended 16th, 17th job. Um, that would pay a guy to be in the D league. Let's say instead of those guys making twenty thousand now or twenty five thousand, where you yeah. can pay a couple guys like let's say it's one one twenty five or one fifty, whatever number they come up with, and they get a D league salary when they're down there and an NBA salary when they get brought back up. But for like young guys coming out of school, it maybe keeps you from going to Europe. And they also think it's going to get some of the European guys that they've drafted who they would always keep overseas that it's enough money for one or two of them on a roster where now they can get in your system and your D-League team and develop. This is like one owner said to me, like our focus right now should be just tightening these things up and together we should be going after the NFL. Like we can go after the NFL now. That's what we need to be focused on. And And I think the players would generally agree with that. Like there's an opportunity there. There is an opportunity there. And, and, Again, if you look at it from our side, I think things are pretty good right now. I don't necessarily think we should be going after you know these big ticket items. Uh, again, some of the things I mentioned, I think is is from what I'm hearing, those are the things that we would like to be adjusted. But I don't think it's in anyone's best interest to to have another lockout in, in such a short period of time, given our level of uh, you know growth in the last few years uh, post lockout. Can I add one? Now, speaking of the union, there's no more passionate union member. That you, you know than Spencer Hawes, right? Nobody, <laughs> nobody is more passionate he, about. He the keeps players. coming up on these podcasts. <laughs> yes, he does. There's no more passionate players association. He's the guy. Like I just, I wish I could go in these meetings and see him in there. I really do. Like, but uh, raising his hand, contributing. But it's good. Like, the league needs more guys. Players have yeah. to be. The problems the union got into 
under the Billy Hunter regime was because he encouraged, he really didn't want guys involved. He had a select group that he kept involved and then they ran it more like a fiefdom than they did a, you know, I think now it's more engaged. But with Spencer, there's nothing like this time of the year. I always hesitate before I write, you know, Charlotte is looking to move Spencer and his contract because I know what's coming. And what's coming is a text message every 15 minutes for the next until a deal happens, right? And I'm like, Spencer, like, I'm prob- I may not know before you, but like, I promise nothing's happening 10 minute to 10 minute to 10 minute. And, but that's my favorite. I remember I was at dinner. I got word that they were looking to unload his deal to move him, you know, with a pick to get to do some other things in free agency. And, and, and Spencer, Spencer still has value around the league. It's just a matter of where they find the right spot for him. But I remember saying, you know what, I'm going to wait about an hour to put this out, even if I get beat on it, because I can't text Spencer through this dinner with my family. I'm just going to wait till it's over. And if I get beat, like I can, I'm going to take less shit from my wife here than I'm going to take from, you know, Spencer. So, uh, but I, he always makes me laugh. I know he's, uh, he's been a staple podcast guest for you. He's, 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 yeah, he's been great. He's a great friend. He actually stayed with me over the uh, July 4th weekend. He crashed it at my place. So. And, and, and by the way, of all the, of all the great things I've seen in, in the postseason, I was there when Curry had that 17 point in overtime in Portland and, yeah. You know, some of these games in the finals. The funniest thing I still have seen was we were in Golden State. Yep. Oklahoma City had won. Golden State had won game seven. And here comes Spencer, like, marching around in the back area with his Sonics shirt on, high-fiving Warrior guys, like, while the Thunder guys are all there. And, like, and you're just like... I'm like, Spencer, how old are you? Like 10 years old? What are you doing? <laughs> just like messing with these guys. But it was just, and he's hugging people and he's got that sonic shirt and we all know what he's doing. And yeah. I don't know, it was it was a pretty funny scene. The one thing I've learned about Spencer is that every item of his wardrobe, there's a purpose to him wearing it. He doesn't just throw a shirt on or just put a suit on. Like there's an absolute purpose to him wearing it, including his Christmas Day suit from a couple years ago. (laughs) This has really come full circle because we started the podcast talking about the Woj Bomb, and now we learn that, in fact, you do show some restraint with your Woj Bombs. Uh, There's Um, a lot of restraint. It's always more interesting. I'm glad to know if I ever get traded, you're going to text me first and be like, hey, did you hear you got traded before I put it out? Yeah. I'm I'm not going to learn from Twitter. (laughs) No, I I try to keep guys. Listen, there's plenty of times with deals where I hear about them, and I'll I'll call the team to confirm it, and they'll say, yes, we've done the deal, but we're a, we haven't told the player yet. Can you wait five or ten minutes? And right. there's some times where I can't wait. I know it's getting out. But there's also once in a while there's deals where I know that I don't think anybody else has it, and I'll say, go ahead, do it, and I'll wait. And I have gotten beaten that way, but I've also, if I tell somebody I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait. But like, And there's times I just, you can't. But there's very often times you do and, and allow a team to tell a guy, themselves because nobody I understand nobody likes to learn it from here but it is a competitive environment and that doesn't mean I'm always going to show restraint on that but but when I can I always I always do well us players appreciate it yeah Woj thanks for uh, coming on and giving me the time get back to uh, your two phones all right thank JJ, you it's been awesome having you do this for us really appreciate it man uh, we'll uh, we'll catch you soon all right sounds good thanks Woj thank you for listening to this episode of the vertical podcast with JJ Reddick I'd like to thank today's guest Adrian Warjanowski. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to the podcast. Please tweet me at JJ Reddick for any questions and comments. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, T-Mobile. Be sure to support them the way they support us. 
We'll catch you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.